This morning, for just a few minutes, we're going to continue in this series of messages that if we had to break down and give a title to the series, is entitled Authentic Christianity. We started in James a few weeks ago on taming the tongue, what it means to be an authentic Christian as it relates to what comes out of your mouth. I preached that one first because that's the one I struggle with the most is my mouth. It gets me in trouble so very quickly. Now, if you didn't hear that message, please go back in the archives, listen to it. The second message we preached on the authority for Christ to forgive you of your sins and what that means. And what does it mean if you sin after you've been saved? That question was answered through Scripture on Wednesday night. This morning, we want to begin uh, with asking a question and understanding that you have power in your purpose here on this earth. That you, as an individual, a saved person, that there's power in your purpose and understanding what your purpose is for this life. Authentic Christianity, let me help you with this before we dive into this, because it's so important. Authentic Christianity must be defined by God's Word. Authentic Christianity must lean on God's Word. Authentic Christianity must duplicate what's found in Scripture as far as instruction in a Christian's life. We live in a culture that so embraces the idea that you can set your own rules or your own standards or that you can even make your own special contract with God. Well, God knows me and I know him and he, he's good with me. We're good. We know each other. I hear that all the time. But unfortunately, that operates within the emotion of your heart and not the truth of God's word. Most people live day to day and emotion controls a lot. But when it comes to understanding what authentic Christianity is, you can't trust your emotions. You can't trust your heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart, the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. So if we're going to live a life that is authentic, it's real. It's not just a facade, a show, a social media posting. That if you're really going to live a life as a Christian, it must be found and embrace the truth of God's word. And as our country unfolds before us, and as culture continues to decline, and as things become more uncertain outside of these walls, it is absolutely vital that in 2021, that every man, every woman, every teenager, young adult, every child who is a blood-bought, born-again Christian has the fundamentals of their faith strongly rooted in the truth of God's word and not a one-liner or an emotional experience or response that we're depending on to keep us where we need to be. God's word is the ultimate guardrails of your life as a Christian. God's word is the ultimate source of truth, inspiration, and knowledge 
And it is desperate in this day that Christians be who Christians are supposed to be. If there is going to be a change in our culture, if you want things to look different in your leadership, even in Washington, D.C., Raleigh, or the county in which you reside, then it's going to require that Christians be salt, be light, and be who they're supposed to be. But who they are supposed to be must be rooted in God's word. So we're going to revisit some of these fundamental truths of what it means to be a Christian. The basics of our faith and our purpose. If we don't have the understanding from God's word on what our purpose is, everything else is off kilter. It leads down a path that will always lead to more disappointment or misunderstanding. We must understand where the Bible lines up with our perspective and with our faith. Even if you've been saved like Brother Jerry for 61 years and three months, instantly this morning at the 8 o'clock service, I said, Brother Jerry, how long have you been saved? He said, 61 years and three months. Instantly was able to answer because he's still enjoying the benefits of his salvation and so even if you've been saved 61 years and three months, it is biblical for, to, for you to revisit the foundation, the fundamentals of your faith to be encouraged along the journey. So maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian a long time. I still invite you today to allow the simple truth of God's word to penetrate your heart and for the Holy Spirit to inspect you today. And I'd like to start by asking this simple question. And we'll try our best from God's word to answer this question. This question is not new. It's been around a long time. But the question is this, why do you exist and what is your purpose? Why do you exist and what is your purpose? What's the reason that you are alive right now in this moment, in this auditorium or watching online or on TV? What is the point of your existence why are you here? And what is your purpose? The first part of this, your existence, is really quite simple. Your existence must rest in the peace that God is sovereign. The fact that you're here alive today, some feel that they've been born a hundred years too early. Some feel that they've been born a hundred years too late. But God, in his sovereignty and in the providential will of God, he knew that you would need to be alive right now. He knew when you needed to be born. He knew who you needed to be around at what time. He knew what the congregation of Trinity Baptist Church needed to be in this time. God makes no mistakes. He's sovereign. And in his providential will, you're alive, you're breathing, you're listening to his word today, and it's not an accident. No one in this building today is an accident. Everyone in this building today or watching online has a reason for existing and a purpose. Why does suicide so shoot through our country at high levels? Because people come to the end of answering this question, why do I exist and what is my purpose? And no matter what you try to plug into that answer, nothing will ever suffice other than the answer found in God's word. You exist because God is sovereign and he chose for you to exist. There's great peace in that. 
that I'm alive now within the providential will of God. Praise the Lord for that. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Here's the key of this verse. All things were created by Him and for Him. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So we've simply answered the question of why you exist. Because God in his sovereignty chose for you to exist. But today I want to focus on the latter part of the question. Why do you exist? Now what is your purpose. What is your purpose in life? If you were to go to your deathbed tomorrow, if today is your last day, tomorrow you knew this is it, I'm gone, and you were to lay on your deathbed and look back at your life, what would be the one thing? What would be the it? What would be that one defining thing about your life that you would say, that's it. That's why I existed. That was my purpose. That was my chief end. That was the reason God put me on this earth. That was my purpose. I want you to answer that now in your heart and in your mind. And already answers, questions, answers. They're coming to your, they're coming to your mind. Your purpose. What is my purpose? I want you to answer them out loud, but some of those responses have sounded like this. Is your purpose to be as financially profitable as possible on this earth until you take your last breath? Is that your purpose? Is your purpose to make as much money as possible? Is that your purpose? Is your purpose to have as much influence in your community, in your family, and maybe even in our presence online, is that your purpose to be known, to be popular? Is your purpose to leave a lasting legacy so that decades after you're dead and gone, people know your name and talk about you? Is that your purpose? Remember, you're on your deathbed and you're defining your purpose. You're looking back on your life and you're going to that one thing that was my purpose. Is your purpose on this earth to be as happy and as comfortable as possible? Is that your purpose? Is your purpose to be the greatest husband or wife or even parent on this earth? Is that your purpose? Is that your highest calling? Does that describe the reason that you're here the most to be a husband, wife, or even a parent? Is that the goal? Some of those things are wonderful goals to have, and some of those should even be part of who you are. But at the end of the day, when we go to the very root of our purpose, the chief end of who we are, our most important goal, our life-defining purpose, according to God's word, is that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. According to God's word, the purpose of your existence is that you would glorify him and enjoy him forever. And understand this. 
that today in the society in which we live, in the culture that even the church is embracing, you must hide it in your heart that your purpose is to glorify God. You must. In the day that we're facing the evil that we are facing as a church, as a nation, as a community, if you're going to survive the evil day and you're going to withstand, you're going to have to do it on God's word. And you're going to have to understand that your purpose has been defined not by culture or not by popular opinion or not by your friends or not by even pop culture or even a a parenting magazine, but that your purpose in life has been defined by your creator in his word. And your purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let me make this clear. Glorifying God doesn't mean that we make him glorious. God doesn't need Winston Parrish to be glorious. God is already glorious by himself. He needed not even send Christ for him to be glorious. Yet in grace and in mercy and in love towards sin-sick humanity, God sent his son. God is glorious all by himself and doesn't need me to help lift up his arms to be glorious. He is glorious all on his own. And our job when we give glory to God is to simply display or reflect the glory of God in our lives. The glory is already there. The power is already there. The definition of what it is to be a Christian has already been set. Our job is to simply duplicate it, to carry it out, to reflect it to the world around us. So how do I glorify God in my life? What does that really mean according to God's word? Not my emotions, not my thoughts, not my ideas, not a self-help book. I'm talking about what does the word of God, Holy Scripture, what does it say about your purpose? about glorifying God. The first thing, I'm only going to give you three today, but the, the first is this. If you're going to glorify God in your purpose, and if you're going to understand that your purpose is to glorify God, the first thing you must do is to love him. Simply love him. You have to glorify God by loving him. Mark 12 and verse number 30, these words are read in my Bible. These are the words of Jesus And Jesus said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And then Jesus, remember, these are the words of our Lord and Savior. Jesus says, this is the first commandment. He said, before you get anything else out of order, this is the first thing you need to operate your life in. That you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything that you have should point back to how much you love God. So if I do that with my heart, with my mind, my strength, what is that in the human existence? That's your control center. That's everything that controls your body, your actions, your intentions, your motivations, and even how you are with other people. The way you treat someone should always reflect that you love God. Well, you don't know how mad they made me. Your purpose in life is to glorify God. 
And in every instance that you have an opportunity to interact with humanity, whether it's your friends, your family, your spouse, no matter who it is, the bag boy at Ingalls may have bagged your groceries in a way that you just cannot believe. He just set a six pack of Pepsi on top of two loaves of bread. And you are about to go crazy. Love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Give this bag boy an opportunity to see someone different, not for your glory, but because you love God and your purpose is to give him glory in the way you treat other people. To love God. Jesus said, this is the first thing. If you want to follow me, if you want to be an authentic Christian, a follower of Christ, you must love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that's a very tall order when you put it in perspective of living today. But I promise you, the mandate has not changed. It is still our job. It is still our obligation. It is still our purpose to glorify God and to love Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 explains it the best. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. And when you've been hired by an employer to work a job and to receive a salary, even if it is a terrible job that you are only planned to be at for six or seven months while you're waiting for the next job to be open, do it for the glory of God with everything you have. Students, when you are given the opportunity to sit in a classroom under the American flag and have a teacher who loves you, who invests in you, who wants to see you succeed, do it for the glory of God. Parents, everything you do with your children should be centered in the fact that your purpose is to glorify God. Love Him with everything that you have and whatever you do, filter it through, does this honor and glorify the name of my Savior? Everything. Number one, we glorify God by loving him. Number two, we glorify him by respecting him and giving him reverence. Another way you can glorify God in your life today is by respecting him and showing him reverence. Moses comes off of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. He goes to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 10, 12. At the beginning of that verse, he says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all of his ways. He comes off the mountain with the Ten Commandments in hand. And one of the first things he says is that you must fear the Lord God. And I don't want to get into the mechanics of fearing God today, but I do want to go down this path of fearing the Lord. One of the greatest ways that we show in our lives, remember we're giving glory. This is a public display in everything that we do. And one of the greatest ways that you can show that you fear God and that you respect Him and that you hold Him in a reverent place in your heart is in the way you speak about God, the way you speak about Jesus, the way you speak about the Holy Spirit. It should never be used in jest. The name of the Most High God should never be daily banter. 
It should never be a joke to talk about the working power of the Holy Spirit of God. You should never make light of someone who is engaged in a worshipful act and later use it as a comedy bit for a funny joke. God is not your bro. He's not your dude. He's not your homie. God is mighty and powerful and loving and kind and majestic and beautiful. And if you want to glorify him in your life, then your language must reflect that you give him honor and glory, respect and reverence. And Christians have to be the ones to set the standard there. It's so easy to hear words on TV or in social media or however you receive content and hear God's name taken in vain over and over and over and over and it become part of our daily language, but it still does not glorify the name of our God. And for us, if we're going to glorify him, we must show him reverence and respect in the way we talk about him. It's so important to speak of Christ with great respect. It is a personal relationship. You can tell him anything, but when you are speaking about him to other people, the way in which you speak could, listen to this, influence their perspective of who Jesus is. And I never want to get in the habit of taking Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and turning off the faucet of holiness. That it becomes more whatever. There's plenty of other language to use. In the English language, in the Spanish language, than to take the name of God in vain. Another way we respect him and show him reverence is by being faithful to him with our time. With our time. Time is such a precious commodity. The Bible even says that life is but a vapor. You only have so much time on this earth. When I woke up this morning and I got my coffee, I was that much closer to eternity. I was. As Pastor Ralph has done many a time, I took another tissue out of my box. And you know what? I am not promised that I've got another tissue waiting in my box. So I have been given, before I was born, God knew either that he would be coming back to get me, which I prefer, or that I would die at some point in time. Once appointed unto man to die. We are all going to die, 100% guaranteed. Every single person in this room, you will at one point in time die. You've been given an allotted amount of time. And if your entire purpose, according to God's word, is to give God glory, there's no way that he can be second, third, fourth, or 15th on your list of priority and you glorify him in the way you live. God deserves as much time as I can humanly give him. God deserves all of my time. He allows me to work. He allows me to labor. He allows me to have a wife and a family and recreation and happiness and all the blessings that he's given me. But at the end of the day, that time really belongs to him. 
And anytime we allow anything extracurricular, listen to me, anytime we allow anything extracurricular to come in the way of God, his work, or his house, we are robbing God of his glory. When anything becomes more important than your family being in church together, being in prayer and reading at home together, when anything supersedes that, it instantly becomes a theft of glory and time that's due to God. He is a jealous God, but righteously jealous that he wants all of your attention and parents, listen to me. I want to speak very, very clearly, but this is the truth as God has given it to my heart this morning. Your purpose in life is not to get your children exposed to the best school. Your purpose in life is not to get your son's right arm or left arm exposed to the scouts of the MLB. Your purpose is not that your teenage daughter would be the most popular or well-liked person at school. Your purpose is not for them to even be your best friend. Your purpose is that child would know that their mother and their father glorify God in their time. They honor and they respect him and that they would never rob God of what's truly his. That's not popular culture. But it's the God who we serve. He wants our time, our priority. That's why the church used to be so centered around the life and the family. Everything worked out of the church. And I'm afraid that if we don't get back to that understanding that our participation as a body is vital, I'm afraid of what the results could be for the next generation. We don't need to digress in our time given to God. We need to increase our time given to God. We must glorify God by respecting him enough to make him the priority of our time. Think of what he has done for us. Now I want to give it back to him. Thirdly and lastly, you have to glorify God in the way you love him. You glorify God with your time and your reverence and your respect. Then lastly, you glorify him by worshiping him. There is one activity that scripture talks about and associates more than any other activity in the Bible as it pertains to glorifying God. And that's worship. Worship. At its heart, worship is uh, one of the only things that gives glory to God alone. It demands it or it's not worship. If it glorifies the flesh, if it glorifies the man, if it glorifies a preference, then it's not glorifying God. If you're singing the old red back hymnal just because it's the old red back hymnal, you are glorifying the purpose and the, uh, the, uh, the idea that that's what you prefer more than you are giving glory to God. If your idea that you need to worship in a certain way with a certain tempo and a certain lighting tone and a certain sound, that is not worshiping God. That is worshiping a preference. But true worship takes all of that out. It looks for the words that glorify God normally because they come from Scripture. And the heart opens and it glorifies and it worships God. 
for who he is. I love musicians. I love the music. I love the lights. I love all of those things. But that does not dictate or regulate my worship. I worship him because I love him, not because we have a black Yamaha piano. I worship him because I love him, not because my favorite guitar player is playing today. I worship him because I love him because when I open my mouth to sing, I do my dead level best to remember what he did for me. Worshiping him and giving him glory. Glory belongs to him. And this is so personal, but this cannot be dictated by the person sitting next to you. Worship is personal. You say, I come to church and my wife really engaged. She's a wonderful singer, a great worshiper. And yes, it is encouraging and we must encourage one another to worship, but she cannot worship for you. If you're here today and you're in your right mind and you're saved, you have a duty and an obligation according to God's word to worship him. It's your purpose. It's why you're here to glorify God in worship. You must worship to glorify him. Worship is so tender to the heart of God. He even said in his word that he inhabits the praises of his people. And I'm thankful that God can inhabit the praises of people with different personalities. Brother Chris, you and I worship completely different. Some people worship with their hand up. David, you worship different. And I love it. Pastor Allen, you worship differently than I do. And I can only say these to these men because we know each other well enough for me to say that. But we worship differently. But, but did you know this? The same God that knows Brother Chris's heart is the same God that knows my heart and what's here. And it's the same Holy Spirit of God that knows what's in David's heart and Pastor Allen's heart and Miss Debbie's heart. He knows your heart. Sometimes we take the word worship and we put an action verb with it. And yes, it is action. And yes, it is a verb, but it is not defined by one type of worship. Some people put a hand up and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Some sit quietly with a tear rolling down their face. And it's just as worshipful as the one standing with their hand up. Don't confuse what God desires of your heart. But if your purpose, your reason for existence is to glorify your creator and you're not worshiping him, you're missing the whole point of being here. You can get a head start on what heaven's going to be by choosing to worship. Psalm 95, 6 gives us kind of the posture in which we should come into worship. Oh, come. Let's stop right there. Oh, come. We've got to be here. Together, it does something to worship the Lord in this building together. The word in Spanish is juntos. I love it in Spanish a lot better than together. Juntos. It's so strong. Together. There's strength in numbers. You say you're in the midst of a pandemic and you're talking about being together in a sanctuary. Obviously, 
Things in our world have changed. And thank God that we have the capability that we do, that people are able to worship online. There are people that cannot be in the building. I completely understand that. But you know what? They're here with us today together. If you have to watch service and worship online, make sure that it's different than when you watch Andy Griffith. Go ahead and get dressed. Get your Bible. Sit at the table. Prop the iPad up. Stand to sing if you're able. It's worship. But it's so different when we do it together. So Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, we're here. We've checked that box. Let us worship. And notice how it says, bow down a low place. It's not about Winston Parish. And let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Look what's getting ready to happen. I just disappeared. You can't even see me. Don't look over there. I have decreased and he has increased. This is John 3.30 in Psalms 95.6. You get really, really small. It stops becoming so much about your preference and what you desire and more about looking into the heavens and saying, God, thank you for everything you've done. It's worship. Psalm 156, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. It's a command. And we better check before we hurt somebody's feelings. But let's do a breath test. Everybody that has breath, I want you to take a real deep breath. Everybody in here just took a really deep breath. Everybody in here, the breath that you just breathed belongs to God. The air that's in your lungs right now belongs to Almighty God. The air that you're getting ready to breathe in just a few seconds belongs to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And his word says, if you love me and if your purpose is to glorify me, then open your mouth and praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise him. And if you want to glorify God in your purpose, you must worship him. And even while on earth, Jesus, he set the example. Remember, Jesus is all God and all man. But as a man, Jesus stands in front of his disciples. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. This will be the last place we turn. And in my Bible, this is in red. These are the words of our Savior. You say, I recognize this passage already. This is where the Lord's prayer is. You're right. Go to verse number nine. But not only is Jesus teaching his men, his disciples, his followers to pray, but he's teaching them how to worship. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, says Jesus. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in the doxology of this prayer, a small hymn, a song, a song of praise, Jesus Christ, the sinless perfect lamb of God 
who was hours away from becoming my sin on my cross, looked into the heavens glorifying God the Father, and he said, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus not only taught his disciples how to pray, but he emphatically worshiped his father, which was in heaven in front of them. And if you're here today and your purpose in life as a Christian doesn't line up to what God's word defines your purpose as, this is a great day to change your perspective. Teenager, listen to me. Culture wants to define your identity and your purpose. Instagram has plenty of ideas for what young ladies should look like, talk like, and act like. Sports Center is filled with examples of what it means to be successful and make it to the top. But at the end of the day, if your purpose is not centered and rooted in God's word, then your purpose is off the right path on a different path that will always lead to disappointment, pain, hurt, and maybe if you're not even careful, destruction. It is so vital that this church understand that its purpose is to glorify God. Corporately and individually. Why does Trinity Baptist Church exist? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Why do you exist? What is your purpose? And does it line up with the requirements of God's Word? If anybody asks you tomorrow in the coming days, what's the meaning of life? What's the point of all this? What's our purpose? Now you can say with the authority of God's word that my purpose in this life is to glorify my God and to enjoy him forever. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you for thinking enough of me to allow me to worship you. God, thank you for calling me as one of your sons, one of your daughters, one of your children. God, thank you for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to draw men. God, we are so desperate for the truth of your word in this hour. God, may we put a resolve in our hearts today that as Christians, as believers, we refuse to allow culture or popular opinion to define who we are. That we run to God's word and that we cling it tight. And that our identity and that our purpose is found in your word. Help this to be who we are as a church. Help me as a pastor in all that I do and all that I say with all of my heart, mind and strength, my soul. God, it longs to bring glory to your name. Oh, Father, I just want to glorify you. I want to praise your holy name. I want to worship you in this moment for who you are and for what you are. God, I pray over the audience that's here today, the congregation that's listening just now. 
God, I pray that there's anyone here today, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a teenager, a young adult, a first-time visitor, a wayward son or a wayward daughter. God, I pray that you would deal with their heart. If anyone be lost, God, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would find him. God, do what only you can do. We worship you for all that's been done and all that you're going to do. Thank you for giving us purpose in this life. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen and amen. Thank God you for being with us this morning. We counted a privilege to be able to worship together. You know, what really stands out today is, you know, it's important that we know our purpose in this life. This life can be very confusing. There can be a lot of voices coming in from the right and from the left. But our purpose is to lift up the name of Jesus. You know, you may be sitting there at home or in a hotel room saying, you know, I'm isolated from people. I can't get out and come to church like you do, Rory. But you know what? You can still lift up the name of Jesus. So we encourage you to do that this, uh, this morning. Thank you once again for being with us. Thank you for your faithfulness. And we just pray that uh, God will bless you in a mighty way. Be with us tonight at 5 o'clock this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Make sure to, plan, uh, to make plans to join us and invite someone to be with you. We certainly do appreciate you more than you'll ever, ever know. God bless you. We'll see you this afternoon.